Good morning. Welcome to Local. Uh, kids, we are so glad to have you in the room today as well. Um, just so you know, we do this a few times a year. We intentionally uh, want your kids in this room together. We think it's valuable that the generations worship together, open God's word together, pray together, study together. And parents, it is great for your kids to watch you do those things as well and lead by example. So kids, where are you? Let me hear you. It's okay to be a little loud. Where where are my kids at? Awesome. I know it's 930. Mom and dad got you up. But man, we're thrilled that you're in here today. Um, So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Kids, you got a bag when you walked in today? Did you get something in your bag? Let me see them, let me see them. If not, parents run out real quick, go get them a bag. There's got some good ways for them to take some notes on that, um, for them to write down some different things that they find um, that God puts kind of in their ear today. So parents, you're okay, run out, grab them a bag. And we've got one more thing that we're gonna let you know about a little later on today. So kids, I do need your help though. This is what color of a balloon? Not a trick question. Kids, what color is this? Orange. Orange. Are you sure it's orange? How positive are you? Like on a scale of one to 10, how positive are you that that is an orange balloon? Like a 10, 100% sure. No chance it's another color. All right, well, how do you know it's an orange balloon? Go ahead, no, tell me, because why? Why is this an orange balloon? Because God said so, (laughs) a.k.a. mom said so. It's probably what else that means, right? Were you you taught that this was an orange balloon? Yes or no? You were taught that? Were you taught that in school and at home? Yes. Do your friends believe that that's an orange balloon? some, Some of you are like, I don't know if my friend actually knows their colors. Do your parents believe this is an orange balloon, right? Like, so the people around you all believe that's an orange balloon as well, right? Yes, all of us in the room would agree that is without a doubt, without question, no argument, that is an orange balloon. But here's the problem. What if somebody said that is absolutely not an orange balloon, that is most certainly a blue balloon, you would be really confused, wouldn't you? would be like, no, 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 that has to be orange. And you would begin to ask that person questions like, why do you think that's a blue balloon? And you might get a lot of different answers. Somebody might say, well, if you look at it from this direction, it's blue. In fact, if you look at it from this direction, it actually maybe looks a little bit yellow. If you're watching online because of the camera, it probably looks red. So it really depends on where you're standing and your perspective. That's how you know what color that is. Maybe that's what somebody would say. So I stand here and I think that's blue. Maybe somebody would say, well, it's blue because that's how I was raised. My parents taught me that that was blue. Your parents taught you that was orange, but my parents taught me that was blue. And so all of a sudden it's, well, that's just how I was raised. Some people might say, well, it's a blue balloon because I like the color blue. And I just want that to be a blue balloon. I don't want it to be an orange balloon. I want it to be a blue balloon. So I'm gonna just say, because I feel like it, that that's a blue balloon. There could be all kinds of reasons why somebody might say that is a blue balloon, even though we know the truth, that it is a what, kids? It's, a, it's an orange balloon. Here's the struggle we find ourselves with, not just with kids, but man, all of us could agree with this. We find ourselves in this tension because we live in a world that doesn't always see things the way that we see things. So we would say this is an orange balloon, but we live in a world that says, no, 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 that's blue. Or actually that looks red. Or I was taught that it was orange later on, but as I grew up, I started to think that it became actually a little bit more yellow. 
It's a little bit of a hybrid balloon. We live in a world that does not see things the way that we as believers and Christians and followers of Christ see things. So let me just put up a list for a second, and and this is not all-encompassing. I know I'm generalizing, but I just want you to see where I'm going here. Uh, These would be things that our world would say is probably true, probably true. And again, maybe not everybody, but just generally speaking, um, our world would say, follow your heart. Our world would say it's totally up to you and it's on you, meaning if you want to get a promotion, that's 100% on you. If you want to get ahead in life, it's 100% on you. It's totally up to you to make it happen. Our world would say that it's all about you. You've got to take care of you. You've got to take care of yourself. It's all about you. Our world would tell you that you are good enough, that you are absolutely enough. Our world would tell you that you deserve it, so go and take it, that you deserve it, so fight for it. And generally speaking, our world would say, God's not necessarily good. That's what our world would say. Our world would say that that is a blue balloon. As Christians, as followers of Christ, because we have God's word that gives us the truth, we know, no, we're not called to follow our heart. We're called to follow him. We know it's not all up to you and it's not all on you. We are to be dependent on and reliant on Jesus. We know it's not all about you. Our lives are intended to worship God, to love God and to love others. We know that we are not good enough, that we are all sinners and the wages of sin is death. And so we all need a savior. We know we don't deserve it. That's the point of grace, that we don't earn our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation, but we have a God that loves us and is good, even when we don't understand it, that he is good, even when bad things happen, that he is good because he is love. The reason this is important is because this is exactly what we've been reading through 2 Timothy. We've been studying 2 Timothy. We're going to finish up 2 Timothy today. And this is going to serve as a backdrop for the last two chapters. Yes, we are going to go through two chapters. So listen fast. The last two chapters, again, this is Paul writing to his protege, Timothy. This is Paul and his last words, like he will be executed not long after he wrote this. And he knows his life is coming to an end. So this is his kind of last words, his last chance to really encourage and equip and challenge Timothy before he won't get to see him physically again. So with that in mind, Paul uses the last couple chapters to really lean into this idea of truth. So here's the backdrop I want us to all have in our heads, because I believe this is what Paul is trying to help Timothy really wrestle with and really understand. To know the truth, and we've seen that. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Like Paul has been hammering, here's the truth, but also how to live in a world that does not believe in the truth. How do we do that? What is the truth, right? We've been talking about that. Paul's been talking about that. But also Paul seems to end his letter with that final point. So Timothy, here's how you're gonna live in a world that does not believe the truth. You believe, you know the truth that the balloon is orange, but Timothy, you live in a world that says it's blue. And can you imagine how difficult that would be? Could you imagine the conflict that that would bring? Could you imagine the disagreements? Could you imagine the problems? Could you imagine the discouragements? Could you imagine the anger? Could you imagine? You probably don't have to imagine much because we live in that every single day. We feel that tension of here's what I believe, here's the truth, but we live in a world that does not believe that truth. So as we go through Paul's final words to Timothy, we're gonna be answering that question. How do we live in a world that does not believe what we believe? How do we live in a world that does not follow the truth? So chapter three, we're gonna go through chapter three and chapter four pretty quick. Um, Several sections we're gonna break apart. We're gonna spend more time on the beginning and more time on the end. And the three sections in the the middle will go kind of quick. 
Here's what we read. Paul writes to Timothy in verse one out of chapter three. So you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. That's none of us in the room, I understand. Ungrateful, they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. A few things just to know context here. Uh, first of all, Paul mentions the end of times or the end of days in the last days. I get asked that question a bunch. Pastor, are we like in the end times? Are we in the end of days? You know what the answer is? Yes. Yes, we are. From the moment Jesus ascended into heaven, we are in the last days. That is called the age of the church. The church began after Jesus's ascension, Pentecost, read in Acts chapter two, three, four, so on. Uh, so we are still in the age of the church, which in kind of Bible speak, that phrasing is the end of time, the end of days, or the last days. So uh, yes, it was in the last days for Timothy. It is still in the last days for us as well, because this is known as the age of the church. Does that make sense? Jesus ascended, and then we have the church. The other thing to mention, at the last part, Paul says, stay away from people like that. Paul is not talking about every single person that would say that balloon is blue. No, he's talking specifically about what he said in verse 5. The people that act religious, but reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. There's a big theme that Paul writes even in 1 Timothy about false teachers, people that intentionally lead other people astray. So there's a little bit more context there you need to understand. Paul is not saying, Timothy, don't talk with anybody that doesn't think like you and believe like you. No, it's actually the opposite. But Paul does give a warning. Hey, don't be around people that are intentionally leading people astray. People that know the truth and are intentionally trying to lead people away from the truth. That's who he's pointing out, stay away from. So there's 19 uh, kind of traits. Let me put these up here. Uh, 19 that Paul lists. Here's the people that are in the difficult days. You're gonna have difficult times ahead because people are going to kind of like live like this based on these 19 traits. A couple things to notice about these. First of all, uh, the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us, he said to what? To love God, yep, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, say it with me, to love your neighbor as yourself. So what's interesting is these could be kind of split into two categories where they are the opposite of that. Instead of loving God, they love themselves. Instead of loving God, they love money. Instead of loving God, they would rather have pleasure than God. So you can kind of see a lot of those being the opposite of that. Same thing with instead of loving your neighbor, what happens when we are self-centered and we care only about ourselves and we love only ourselves and we believe those lies that we went through where I just follow my heart and it's all up to me and I deserve it. When we live according to that, no wonder we have no self-control. Well, I just do what I want to do. I become cruel because I don't care about how I treat other people. I'm reckless because I don't care about my how my actions have an impact with people around me. I become arrogant. I think I'm better than everyone else, right? Do you see how those kind of fall into those? So as Paul's giving this list, he's really saying, this is what the world looks like when we don't follow the great command, to love God and to love others. That's what it looks like. Now, this was written a long time ago. Same problem, different times, right? We still live in this because we're still dealing with the same problem at its root, we are still living in a sinful and broken world. 
So what Paul was, was helping Timothy understand is the same thing that would apply to us. We are living in difficult times because not everybody is following the truth. Not everybody is living according to Jesus' command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And when people don't live according to Jesus' words, according to the truth that we have in his word, that's what our world begins to look like. And Paul says, it's going to get difficult. It's going to get hard. So be prepared. So what do we do with that? Like even just looking at that list, most of us, let's be honest, probably started to put names. Oh, there's somebody like that, and I have a name that's just like that. Probably none of us put our name on that list. <laughs> we're like, no, 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 I don't have any of those. If we're honest, yes, the, the answer is both. Right? We can think of other people that probably fit that list, uh, but we could also say, yeah, I could probably put my name next to some of those as well. Like that's the, that'd be the honest way to approach this. So what does that list begin to do for us? For some of you, maybe it just starts to make you angry because you've experienced somebody who's betrayed you. Maybe it starts to make you a little bit bitter because you've experienced somebody that has, not been, unfor that has been unforgiving. Maybe you have, have got some, some past issues and baggage because you've been around people that have only loved themselves and you've seen the devastation. It's so there might be some emotions that start coming up as you think through that list. Here's what I hope that list begins to do for us. And I think that's what, as we're going to see, I think that's what Paul is trying to help Timothy understand. That's the world we live in. We don't need to be angry. We don't need to be bitter. We don't need to just engage in every argument and debate and fight we can find. My hope is that it breaks our heart. I hope it begins to cause so much compassion that it breaks our heart. My middle son, Cole, we go to the beach every year. We're beach people. We love the beach. And uh, in fact, we have already have our next beach plan. As soon as he gets cold, we plan our beach trip. And uh, so we've got our next beach trip planned. And this was several years ago. He was very little. And we were out in the ocean. Cole and I were out in the ocean playing, jumping the waves. And he was ready to head back to, to Becky, his mom, uh, up on the beach where we've got all of our like beach chairs and like camp and tent and everything. We like camp out the whole day at the beach. And so I say, okay, do you see where mom's at? Start heading in that direction. I'm going to stay here for a little bit. And as he's walking in, I'm watching him like a hawk. And I'm just making sure he gets all the way up and he gets to the beach. And then I see him do this. I see him start looking left and right, left and right. I'm like, oh no, he doesn't know where, where mom's at. So then I see him start go this direction. Well, our beach chairs were the complete other direction. So I watch him start walking this way. And keep, I'm like, surely he's gonna figure that. So then I start hollering. I'm like, call the other way. And he totally can't hear me just because of the waves and the wind. So he just keeps walking the wrong direction. It did not take long for me to realize he's just going to keep going. So as a good dad, as any of us would do, I just take off. Like I start going through the waves. I start getting to the beach. And then I take off running after him. And by the time I get to him, he was scared. I mean, that's understandable. Like he thought mom was going to be right there and he just kept walking, not knowing where anybody was at. So the, by the time I get to him, he's scared and even like a little embarrassed. He's like, man, I didn't know where everybody was at. And I'm like, it's okay, I got you. You know what I didn't do when I found him? I didn't get mad at him. I didn't scold him. I didn't pull out a map and show him exactly where he was supposed to go and look at where you are and look how far away you are from where you're supposed to be. How dare you disobey my instructions? I hugged him. And I picked him up and we walked back to the beach chairs together. Watching my son get lost broke my heart. When you see somebody that matches those, they are lost. 
Jesus says that. I came for the lost. I came for the sick. When somebody doesn't know the truth, they're lost. Church, could we have a heart that breaks for the lost? And not be quick to be angry and quick to be upset and quick to post this on Facebook because they need to hear the truth. Can our, sorry. Just saying. Can our hearts break? How do we live in a world where we know that it's orange, but our world says it's blue. How do we live in that world? It starts here. Ask God to break your heart for the lost. Ask God to break your heart, to increase your compassion, to give you the opportunities to come alongside them in love and in patience as we're gonna see. Does that make sense? Allow your heart to break. Yes, our times are gonna be difficult. No, we are not going to solve it. That's what Jesus does. Our job is to point them to the truth and to do that with a compassionate and broken heart. Then in verse 14, we're gonna skip down a little bit. Again, how do we live in a world that doesn't know the truth? Verse 14, look at what Paul tells Timothy. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. So even though everybody else is not following the truth, Timothy, you have to make sure you're still standing firm in the truth. Remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught, oh, it's 10.02, isn't it? Yes! Good job, good job. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. We learn that salvation by getting into the truth. Verse 16, many of you might be familiar with this passage. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do, uh, teaches to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let's talk about this section just briefly. Um, here, Paul is saying, so here's the world you, you, the world you live in. Here's what you have to do. You have to remain steadfast in the truth. And no matter what everybody else thinks and believes and says, you have to remain true, remain faithful. You know the truth. You've been taught the truth. You found truth in God's word. You've ha- you received salvation. You know it's true. So hold on to that truth. And how do we hold on to that? Because of scripture, because of God's word. We're told that God's word is inspired. The actual word there, and some of you might've grown up with this translation that all scripture is God breathed. Paul actually created a new word to explain that. He took, that, that's not a word that you will find anywhere else in Greek. He actually combined a couple words to create this idea of this has been breathed by God. It's not just God's rules. It's not just God's ideas. It's not just God's thoughts. It's not just history of God's people. This is God's breath. And if you think back to Genesis chapter two, the creation story, and he created the animals, and he created the sky, he created all these things. When it gets to when he created humans, when he created Adam, we're told he didn't just create him, but in Genesis chapter two, he breathed into man. He breathed into Adam. And you know what scripture tells us after God's breath entered Adam? He became living. God's breath causes change. God's breath causes life. So when we are not just reading to read, but when we dig in and dive into his words, it changes us. It gives us life 
life. And here, Paul's very specific. He kind of goes through, kind of, here's what God's word does. Here's how God's word changes us. Here's how God's word gives us life. He says, it teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and prepares us. Real quick, just so you know what those mean. It teaches us. It teaches us what life is meant to be like in the kingdom of God. Read Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. You're gonna see Jesus speaking a whole lot to that. It teaches us about his kingdom, not just our world. Yes, you're, yes, you have a tendency for this, but let me show you what the kingdom is supposed to be like, what it means to love God and love others. It, he teaches us that. He also teaches us that we need a savior. Then he rebukes us. We don't like that word. That just sounds mean. You know what rebuke literally means? To give warning to, to give warning to. That's all that scripture is doing. It's like, hang on, hang on. When you go against God's will, God's way, God's intent, God's design, God's purposes, you just need to know what the consequences are gonna be, right? It's, that, it's what parents do, right? When our, when our kids start doing something, they should be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think that's gonna end well. I don't think that's a good idea. Did you look before you crossed the street? Like those are, that's rebuking. Those are warnings. Because of how God designed us and the world in creation, when we go against his design and go against his purposes, there's gonna be consequences. So scripture here's what the consequences are going to be, right? Like an easy one, right? Those that exalt themselves will be humbled. There's a warning. Just as a heads up, in the kingdom, it's the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So what's the rebuke? What's the warning? Pay attention because if you think too highly of yourself, God's going to, God's going to humble you for you, right? So that's teaching, rebuking, correcting. It's not just a bunch of don't do this. It's no, but this is the right way. This is the direction This is what it looks like to love God and love others. So it's not just a warning. It's also, so here's the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He shows us the way. He shows us the truth. And it's the truth that sets us, you know it, free. That's what it means to correct. And then to prepare us, right? we, We walk through all kinds of situations and all kinds of environments, dealing with all kinds of conflict and all kinds of different relationships, God's word and the truth in God's word, the life in God's word prepares us for every single step we will take. So how do we live in a world that doesn't follow the truth, know the truth, and believe the truth? We remain faithful to the truth, right? We allow God to break our heart for those that are lost. And then just as Paul said to Timothy, we remain faithful to the truth. That's his word. Let's make this a little bit more like maybe real and put it in your lap. A couple ways that you can really dig into this. First one, have a Bible. I know I'm not being sarcastic, okay, truly. If you do not have a Bible, like that's where you've got to start. Kind of hard to know it if you don't have it. So I have plenty of Bibles for you. Out in the lobby on the sides of the doors, there's stacks of Bibles. If you don't have a Bible that you can find and understand, grab a Bible. If you like using the YouVersion app, that's a great place to start as well. Get the app, get a Bible, have it. Kids, if you don't have a Bible, we got kids' Bibles for you. Teens, we got teen Bibles for you. So you can understand God's word. Start there. For adults, Every Tuesday, we send out an email that goes through the scriptures that we talk about on Sunday with a lot of discussion questions. That's a way for you to dig a little deeper. It even says that on the heading, dig a little deeper. So adults, if you don't have that, if you want to know how, I don't know where to start, I don't know what to study, I don't know what to do, start there. That QR code right in your seat back, scan it and scroll down to it says subscribe to our emails. And then there's one that says Bible study email. And that'll go out every single Tuesday so you can dig in a little bit deeper to God's word. Parents with kids, on your way out today, you are going to get a card that looks just like this. Guess what it says? Go deeper. 
The idea is as a family, parents with kids to share together. Let's read together. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Let's not just open it once, but let's dig in a little bit more. So parents, we got a resource for you on your way out. Kids, it'd be a great way for you to dig in a little bit deeper. Bottom line is this. The goal is not just to think about scripture, but to think scripture. That in those difficult times when you deal with difficult people and you're running through all kinds of different situations and circumstances, that you're not just thinking about scripture, but what comes to mind is scripture. So here's be my suggestion for you. I'll put it up on the screen. Read his word, study it, meditate on it, memorize it, talk about it, live it, do all of that. That's how we begin to not just think about scripture. Oh yeah, like God's word, it said this. Jesus said something like that. It's when you're in the middle of it, that's just what you think of. It's not just to think about scripture, but to think scripture. How do we live in a world that doesn't follow the truth? We allow our hearts to break for those that are lost and we remain faithful to the truth. Verse, Verse one in chapter four, look at that, we're halfway done. Paul writes, listen to his language. It kind of, the intensity changes a little bit here. Paul writes, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage people with good teaching. So that's like this command, this this challenge. Like, no, make sure you do this. Why is that important? Verse three, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. That doesn't describe us today at all. So let's just hypothetically speaking. What are we supposed to do when we we live in a world that doesn't follow the truth? We share the truth. That's what he says. With, With a lot of urgency, with a lot, I mean, this language is, is almost like uh, uh, holding Timothy accountable. Like, Timothy, Jesus is coming back. So that should once, first of all, that should cause some urgency. Like, no, we have to make sure people know the truth. But there's also an accountability there. Like, Jesus is going to come back, and we're told that he's coming back to judge. So Timothy, man, you've got, you've got some work to do. Like, don't just sit around. Like, this is important. This is urgent for other people, but also for you. Paul is speaking to the urgency, but also the accountability of we are called to this. Now, some of you are like, I'm not a preacher, so I'm off the hook on this one. No, 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 no. We are all called to share the truth. Does that always look like on a stage on a Sunday morning? No. In fact, it rarely looks like this. It looks like this for about 30 minutes once a week. The rest of the time, it's in people's lives and in people's environments, and it's, it's in the car when you're talking with your kids, and it's, it's at work next to a coworker as you're just discussing life. We are to share the truth. Notice Paul highlights a couple different ways we do that. One, we have to make sure we're prepared because you never know when someone's going to have a question. You want a dangerous prayer? Be careful with this one. God, send me somebody and have them ask me about my faith. If you're going to do that, be ready. Be prepared. God, will you send me somebody that will ask me about my faith, to ask me about the truth? You have no idea when that's going to happen. Like I said, in the car, next to somebody, at work, at lunch, on the phone, in a meeting, you have no idea when things will come up. But you got to be ready. He also says we have to do it with patience. 
We share the truth. We're always ready. We're always prepared. That means we've got we've to be firmly grounded in the truth, remain faithful to the truth so we can share the truth, but we also have to be patient. Let me show you the actual word for patience in the Greek. This is the word that Paul used, macrothumia. It's two words put together. Um, the first one is macro. Obviously, we spelled a little bit different. What does macro tend to mean? Talk to me. Macro. There you go. Yep, yep. And so it's early. Big and, and maybe like large. Like that's the idea of macro. Thumia. What does that sound like? Thumia. It, it almost has like a fire sense to it, right? Like a thermos, right? Or um, a thermometer. It has something to do with like maybe heat or fire. So that's this idea of macrothumia. That word literally means long suffering. So to say that you're patient means that you are long-suffering alongside someone else. That should change our thinking on how we share the truth, that we share the truth and we are in it for the long haul. It is not just a one-time conversation. It is, I'm gonna long-suffer alongside you as I point you to Jesus and I point you to the truth. We have to be prepared, but we also have to be patient. Then he switches gears and points back to but you've got to make sure you've keep, you're keeping your right mind, Timothy, verse five. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Then Paul gives himself as an example, verse six. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. Verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've remained faithful. How do we live in a world that doesn't follow the truth? We, we ask God to break our heart for the lost. We remain faithful to the truth found in God's word. We commit our lives to sharing the truth, not as a career or as a profession, but as who we are. It's just what we do and we're always prepared to do it. And we're patient with people as they navigate through finding the truth that's found in God's word. But then here, we also have to make sure that we stay true to our calling. True to our calling. That's what he's getting at. He uses himself as an example. He says, I've run the good race. Or I've, I've, I've fought the good fight and I've run the race. I'm almost done, Timothy. I love that it says he fought the good fight. There's a lot of things we can choose to fight about. There's a lot of races we can choose to run. Paul is saying, but I've chosen the right one. Timothy, make sure you're choosing the right calling to give your life to the right things, to prioritize to make sure that every moment of every day is spent on the right thing. So what is that? What is our calling? Well, in chapter one, Paul tells Timothy that we are called to live a holy life. So we are called to live according to the truth of God's word. What else is our calling? He says it right here. Work hard at telling others the good news. We just talked about that. It's sharing the truth. We share the truth by being prepared and patient, but we are also staying true to our calling. That is our purpose. We all have different careers and jobs. We have different hobbies but all of those can be used, and I would say will be used by God to live a holy life and to call other people according to his truth. So that's kind of where the instructions end as Paul writes to Timothy. But if you've got your physical Bible, you see that it's not over yet. I wanna highlight just this last part and tell you why I think it's important. Here's the last words of Paul to Timothy. Verse nine out of chapter four. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark when you come for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. 
When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. You know what I love about what he does here? Paul begins to just highlight different people. And what's cool is you see the partnership we all have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is in prison awaiting execution, and it's almost like he is still sending people out. All right, we've got, I need Titus over here, and and I need Tychicus to go over here. And and he's got people moving all for the calling, all for the same calling, the sake of the gospel, sharing the good news, staying true to their calling. But then I love this part too. He said, Timothy, I need you here. And bring Mark too. Luke is already here, but Timothy, I, I need to see you. He missed his friends. Sometimes we view Paul as like super Christian. And we see here at the end of his life, he cared about making sure the gospel was spread, that the truth was spread. So he's sending people all over the known area. And he had friends that he cared for and that cared for him. In his last moments, he wanted to make sure that people were going out to tell people about Jesus, to know the truth. And he wanted Timothy to come and visit him. As brothers and sisters in Christ, that's all of us, the family of God. We serve two purposes with one another, two main ones. To make sure that the gospel is spread, to make sure the world knows that that balloon is orange, to make sure the world knows the truth with patience, with humility, with a broken heart that's full of compassion, we are called to make sure this world knows the truth. And we do that together. That is not one person's job. That is all of us. We are partners in this. You know the other role that we get to fill as brothers and sisters in Christ? We get to be there for one another. We get to be family. We get to be friends. We don't always have to agree on everything. We have different upbringings. We have different pasts. We have different hopes and dreams. We have different careers. There's a lot of things that make us different. But because of the truth of Jesus, that's the one thing that we are united around. And we get to be there for one another. I love that Paul says, Timothy, I need to see you. And by the way, will you bring my coat? (laughs) It's cold in prison. Winter's approaching. If you keep reading through the end of chapter four, he'll say, I need you here before winter. It's cold. Will you bring me my coat? Don't underestimate the value of the people around you. We're partners in sharing the good news. We're partners in sharing the truth. But Sometimes you just need somebody to bring you your coat. Sometimes you need to ask somebody, I just, I need some help. I know it doesn't seem like a big deal. I just need you to bring me my coat. I need you to visit me. I need you to be with me. So as we wrap up our series on 2 Timothy, how do we hold on to the truth through his word? How do we live in a world that doesn't follow the truth? We allow God to break our heart for the lost. We dig into his word to hold on and remain faithful to the truth. We share the truth and we're prepared to sit. We're prepared anytime somebody asks. We're prepared in those teachable moments, but we also do it with patience and with love. We remain true to our calling. No matter what you do, no matter what environments you're in, we tell people the truth and we're called to live a holy life. 
And we do that together. We're partners together. But we have the care of one another. So coming off of Thanksgiving, I thought it was very applicable for us to take some moments to be grateful, just like Kate set up that last song. So I'm going to guide you through three prayers of Thanksgiving. Um, if you want to do this as a family, that's great. If you just want to do this um, between you and the Lord, that's fine too. But we'll pull down the lights and I'm going to guide you through a prayer of Thanksgiving, three specific aspects of this prayer that we're going to be thankful for. So if you'll close your eyes, I'm going to tell you what to pray for, then I'm going to let you do that on your own. Then I'm going to tell you what to pray for in the second one. You can do that on your own, then I'll tell you that on the third one. The first one, would you pray and thank God for the truth that's the gospel? That means you are thankful for the grace that comes from Jesus. You are thankful for salvation. That's not because we deserve it or earn it. Take a moment and thank God for your relationship with him. For the cross and for your salvation. Second, would you thank God for the truth that's found in His Word? That we are not left to just figure this out on our own. We are definitely not left to just hear what other people think and say. He has breathed His Word, breathed life into His Word. And when we read it, when we dig into it, when we live it, when we study it, that's what gives us life. Would you thank him for the truth that's found in his word? <clears throat> Lastly, would you thank him for the people around you? Thank him for your family. Thank him for your friends. Thank him for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank him for your church. Thank him for the people that you probably don't even know their names, but you know that, man, if you needed them to bring you your coat, they would. Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving us, not because we deserved it, but you desired to give us grace. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins to take our sins away, to give us forgiveness, and grace and freedom. Thank you for the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that conquers both sin and death and gives us the hope of eternal life with you in heaven. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the truth that's only found in your word. May we hold tightly to it. We live in a world that does not know the truth. Would you break our hearts for those people? Would you give us wisdom in how we approach those people? Would you give us humility to recognize that we don't know everything either? Use us to share the gospel. Use us to share the truth, but in a way that honors you. God, thank you for placing people around us, for intentionally placing people in our lives that love us, that care for us, that <laughs> convict us and challenge us, that hold us accountable and that sometimes just bring us our coats. May we never minimize the family that you have adopted us into, that we are brothers and sisters because of you, because your adoption, we are part of your family, and we have so much to be thankful for. In Jesus' name, amen.